Okay. All right, let's go ahead and open with prayer as we get ready to open the word. Lord, we just thank for this day. We thank for how much you love us and care for us. We ask that you guide and lead us as we look at your word and, and lead us in what you would have us to learn from all of this. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to be in Philippians, starting at verse 21. Let me read 19, though, just to get some context. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that in all boldness as always, so now also in Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I, I want not. For I am in a strait between two, having a desire to part and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for, for your furtherance and joy of faith that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Christ Jesus for me and by my coming to you again. So we're going to look at this. The idea of living for Christ. I hope you are understanding as you walk with God and you spend time with God, the most valuable thing that we have to live with is to live for Christ. I'm finding that more and more. I find myself wanting to do less and less <laughs> of the world stuff and more and more of God's stuff. And this is what Paul is saying here in verse 21. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Do we truly believe that as Christians? Do you realize that when we as a Christian die, we get to go to heaven? <laughs> What better thing can there be than to go to heaven? Now, that does mean, not mean, as Paul is saying, we don't want to rush it. <laughs> We're not trying to make it happen sooner. But what greater value is there but to end up dying and going to heaven? We read through the different biographies, through the Fox's Book of Martyrs, all these people who die with the rejoicing on their lips. They're going to heaven. Stephen, as he's being stoned, looks up and he says, I see Jesus at the right hand of the Father. And then he says, just like Jesus, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then he, I believe he was gone at that point and they just threw rocks at a dead body. <laughs> he, was, he was so focused on Christ that he wasn't feeling anything else. Have you ever been there at a place where you're so focused on God and Christ that you don't even notice what's going on around you, barely. When the trials hit you and all the hard times hit you, and you're focused on God. For me to live is Christ. I focus on him, and everything is such great blessing when I'm focused on him. And I'm sitting there saying, everything about life is for him. And we really need to be understanding everything about life is for God. And if it's not that way in your life, start talking to God about making it that way. Because I can tell you it gets so simple when everything's about Him. When I'm not worried about what happens to me, and I'm focused on God, 
As a Christian, I'm going to go, God, whatever you send my way, let me be a good example to you. Paul has said this on many occasions. In one time, he goes through all the things that he has happened. Shipwrecked three times, stoned on several occasions. Close to death, if not dead, on at least one occasion. Scourged multiple times. And what did he say? Did he say, woe is me, I'm, I'm terrible, terribly miserable? No, he said, praise God, I've been able to go through all this. Is that what we would be saying if we were there? Would we be saying, praise God, that all this terrible stuff has been happening? Maybe sometimes we would, sometimes we wouldn't. We look at Paul in the Philippian jail in the middle of night. Paul and Silas in jail in the middle of the night. They've been scourged. We've talked about what scourging is. That's taking the, the, the whip or the Roman flagellum and literally taking the skin off their body, if not actual muscle and meat. After they get done scourging him, they throw him in a dark, stinking dungeon with all the rats and insects running around. And of course, we would all, we would all expect Paul and Silas to be bemoaning their, their fate. You know, here we are in jail again. The Bible tells us they were singing hymns and praising God. What faith they had. Why? Because they were looking at God. They were looking at Jesus and saying, for me to live is Christ. No matter what I go through, it's nothing compared to what Jesus went through. And it's to build Jesus up. No matter what happens to us, we focus on him. And he is our strength. And the good news is when he's done working with us, he'll take us home. We have to stay here until he's done working with us. <laughs> Which, for good or bad, Paul says it's to gain to die. It's our gain to die. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And Paul, Paul goes on in verse 22. He says, but if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. <laughs> What's that fruit of his labor? To live for Christ. Paul's labor was to disciple people. Now he had a very big ministry. He was starting churches and, and meeting lots of people. But you know, every one of us should have somebody in our life that we're discipling. Every one of us. If you're a Christian, you should be discipling somebody in your life. You go, well, I don't know enough. Well, you know, you know more than somebody out there. You know more than somebody that you know that's a Christian, probably. Unless you just got saved yesterday or a week ago, you know something more than, some, than somebody else. If you attend Bible studies, you, attend, you read your Bible, you know more than many of the Christians that are out there that you're going to come in contact with. Find somebody and disciple them. And if you're not being discipled yourself, and you find somebody to disciple you. Because we all need to be discipled. We can all learn more. And I've shared with you all, I listen to Christian speakers all the time. Why? Because I need to learn. <laughs> I need to be challenged. Now, do I get deep, deep challenges in this day and age? Not usually, but every once in a while, a speaker will say something that says, wow, I've never thought about it that way. Or, it might even be worse, I've never even heard that, in which, means, which drives me into finding out whether they've told me the truth or not. But you know, we need to do that. We need to be good students. Paul praised the Bereans because they searched out the scriptures to see whether he was teaching the truth or not. 
And I've told every one of you, I want all of you to be good Bereans. Search the scriptures. Don't believe it just because I said it. I have 44 years of study. I do know what I'm talking about usually. <laughs> but I could get off real easy just as anybody else can. You don't believe something just because a teacher teaches it. I've got some good teachers that every once in a while I'll hear them say something and in the back of my mind I'm going, where did they come up with that? How did they get that far off and they're such a good teacher? Which scares me because I wonder how many times I've done it. We need to be able to get into the scriptures and study. We need to be able to go to somebody and say, can you help me learn whatever it is you want to learn? I've shared with you, if you want to learn how to pray, look around, find somebody who knows how to pray well, and just go to them and say, can we get together once a week or every other week, once a month, and can I just pray with you? Can you teach me to pray? You want to learn how to study the Bible? Find somebody who knows how to study the Bible and say, can we get together once a week, once a month, whatever, and learn to study? You want to learn evangelism? Find somebody who's an evangelist and go out with them. I'm going to tell you right now, we're going to study this stuff. You know, we talked about the way of the master, which we're going to start with. We're going to go on. But until you actually start door knocking or going out on the street and using it, it really doesn't mean much. But when you start doing it, you're going to find out it's so much easier than it actually, than your, your mind actually thinks it is. Every time I've gone into an evangelism class, somebody will go, well, what if they ask this? What if they do this? And it's kind of funny because what they say is so far out there, I've never even asked anybody, heard anybody ask the questions that they're afraid they're going to be asked. Now, it's kind of amazing. The, what Christians get in their mind and the fears they get are funny. But you know, as I've said many times before, and you guys probably parroted it back to me, if they ask you a question you don't know, it's the best thing that can happen to you. Okay, the thing you fear the most is being asked a question you don't know the answer to, and yet it's the greatest thing that can happen to you because your answer is really simple. I don't know that answer. I will go find that answer. Can we meet with you again <laughs> tomorrow or next week or whatever? Now you get to witness to them two times. <laughs> Maybe they'll ask you another question you don't know. You get to meet with them a third time. Maybe you can keep doing this until they finally decide that they're going to just give in. Paul is saying, you're the fruit, you are the fruit. You're the reason I stay. If God did not need us to witness to other people and to help them grow, as soon as you got saved, you'd go home. Now, I don't know how you'd get saved if you didn't have anybody to be talking to you. But if God wasn't using people to reach other people, then we'd just be going to heaven as soon as we got saved. We have a job. Jesus' great commission is to go and reach the lost. Make disciples. That's our job. Every single one of us, that's our job as a Christian, is to make disciples. Too many Christians just sit in a pew and grab knowledge and never step out. It's an amazing thing when you go out. When I first got saved, I, I went out and told all my friends and filled a Sunday school bus. <laughs> You know, why? Because they ask me how you get done. I go, I don't know. Come to Sunday school with me. <laughs> they, 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 know, they can tell you. <laughs> you know. Do you remember back when you were a first Christian and got the, had that excitement about what happened in your life? We need to find that excitement. In Revelation, Jesus said, you've left your first love. Do we remember the love we have for God? 
We should be excited about God. We should be telling others about God. The really amazing thing I have noticed in Christianity, and myself included, when you're first saved, you're all excited. You don't know anything. You don't know how to tell anybody anything. And you're excited. You're telling everybody about Jesus. Can't answer any of their questions. But what happens so often is the longer we walk with God, the less excited we are and the less people we tell about him. It's really sad that when we have the answers, we don't share the gospel. When we don't have the answers, we share the gospel. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but, it, but I know I've been there myself. We need to get that love for Christ and that excitement for him. Are we all going to be evangelists? No. But we all are called to preach and to read and give the gospel out to people. We're all called to give that gospel out. And as we've told you, it's really simple. It only takes 30 seconds to give, them, give the gospel. You're a sinner. You deserve punishment. Jesus died for you. Do you want to accept him? What was that, 15 seconds even? You know, it's not that long to give the gospel. Okay. Now, it takes a little time to explain these points, but it doesn't take long to give the gospel. And the good news is, it's not me that matters. It's what the Holy Spirit does to people. He's the only one that's going to draw them to him in the first place. He's the one that's going to convict them of their sin. He's the one that's going to tell them that they need Jesus. We're just the person that provides the initial words. And I'm going to tell you right now, usually people hear what the Holy Spirit wants them to hear and not even what you say sometimes. It's been pretty amazing sometimes when I've witnessed to somebody and they go, well, you said such and such, and I'm going, I don't remember saying that at all, but okay, if that's what, if that's what you heard and it brought you to Jesus, <laughs> praise God. I can't tell you how many times when I've been preaching, somebody says, you said such and such, I've gone back to listen to the, to the tape and go, I didn't say anything like that. <laughs> But that's what the Holy Spirit had them here. Why? Because it's God's power that's really what's most important. We're just a vessel who gets used. And it's fun to be used because the fruit is there. And, and Paul says, I'm between the desire. I want to go home, but it's better for you if I stay. I know that feeling. I'd love to go to heaven. It would be so much fun to go to heaven. <laughs> Not have any more trials, not have any more t tests, not have any more, any more bad things, pain, aches. <laughs> but you know what? I get to teach people. I get to lift people up. At the prison, I get to talk to so many young men that need help and, and be able to just put God into their lives by just sharing with them. Not overtly or anything, but just get to share. Then I get to come out here to, to the church and I get to teach five times a week. And I've watched people growing so much in Christ that it's a great blessing. I'm going, thank you, God. When he's done with me, I'm going to say, okay, God, let's go home. I'm done. And I'll be ready to go home. But until that happens, I'm more than happy to be able to pour my life into other people and say, here's, here's, what, I want, here's what God wants you to know. And then, of course, we're on the Internet reaching thousands of people every month with our messages. I looked up yesterday to see how much, and we're almost at 8,000 messages being clicked into this, this month. It's an amazing number of people listening out there to this little church, <laughs> to this crazy pastor in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> it's just a small congregation, and yet we are reaching who knows how many people out there. And you all are the reason that it happens, because you're paying the bills to keep it on, on the Internet. So... We're doing a wonderful thing, and we're being able to reach people.
We're reaching out. How much is being done? Who knows? Paul goes in verse 24, Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Verse 25, And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for the furtherance of your joy and your faith. As a teacher, Paul was happy. He says, I'm here so that you are blessed. That you are blessed. Paul poured his life into various different churches over periods of time, but he really poured his life into people like Timothy and Titus, the ones that he took around with him everywhere, and he was pouring everything he had into their lives so that when he was taken out of the picture, they would take over. And that's our job. That's our job as parents with our children. If we're Christian parents, our children should be our main ones that we disciple. We should pour our life and our knowledge into them so that they continue going forward with Christ. And if you've got grandkids or great-grandkids, pour your life into them. Pour Jesus into their <coughs> lives. Especially if you didn't do a good job with your children. Get it into your grandchildren at least because they're not going to get it into them. But you know, it's so wonderful to watch God move. I've got all, three of my four kids are all telling me the same thing. We never knew how much we knew until we're in these churches where they're, where they're now having been taught all their life. And we didn't sit down and have long Bible studies and long theological discussions. We discipled them. We showed them by example how you apply God to your life. How do you react when, when you get pulled over for going too fast and the police officer puts those blue li- flashing blue lights on? Do you get angry and upset or do you go, okay, you know, I'm going to be submitted to authority? How do you react when something does not go your way when somebody is above you and you're supposed to be submitted to them? You know, argue, gripe, complain all the time and, and set a bad example of submission or, okay, God, help me learn to be submitted. We all have to be submitted some way, somehow to different things, whether it's our government or in the church or in the family or whatever, we all need to learn to be submitted to the authorities of God. And government is a big one that we all have to be submitted to, even when they make rules that are going against what we believe. The disciples were told not to preach. And what was their answer when they, when they were arrested for preaching? We have to obey God rather than man. One thing you don't ever think about, though, is the second half of that statement. They willingly took the punishment for being disobedient to the government. They didn't gripe and complain, saying, well, we had to obey God, but so you have no right to punish us. No, they go, we have to obey God. And they took the punishment that came for disobeying the delegated authority over them. If you want to claim I'm obeying God rather than men, (laughs) be ready for the punishment (laughs) that comes for disobeying man. Because there is a punishment for disobeying the authority in your life. Even if they're wrong, (laughs) they have the right to give that punishment. Now, they will answer to God at the end, but they have that right. We need to be able to understand that. Submission does not end just because they're wrong. (laughs) And it doesn't end just because I have to be disobedient in some cases. And we're going to be 
in the near future having to go through those kind of sufferings at times. It's up in, up in Canada, if a pastor preaches the, from the Bible that homosexuality is a sin, he may go to jail. Our laws have been based upon those laws. Now, they told us nobody's going to go to jail for it, but we've already seen pastors being harassed by government officials for saying that homosexuality is a sin. Okay? There's going to come a time when being a Christian is going to be against the law, and we're going to have to make a decision. Am I going to follow Christ and take the punishments for disobedience to, to man or not? You know, scary. Thing we never thought would ever happen in America <laughs> can happen. But it's not just those. I mean, how about if you call fornication a sin? How many thousands and millions of Americans are living in unmarital status, living in fornication? That's a sin. You know, we have sins all over the place that people do, and they're, they're respectable sins. How about in America... The one that probably I had the biggest problem with, gluttony. <laughs> Eating too much. It's a sin. We need to know it's a sin. The good news is we don't go to heaven for being right and being righteous. We go to heaven because of Jesus Christ. And him only. Doesn't mean we go out and we just sin as much as we want to. But... Being good and doing the right things is not, what's go is not going to get us into heaven. It's not going to get us forgiven. Not going to bring us into righteousness. Our righteousness is in Christ Jesus. He clothes us in his righteousness when we believe in him. And when we stand before God and he looks at us, and we're his children, he's going to see the righteousness of Christ. When he judges the world that rejects Jesus Christ, the reason they're going to go to hell is because they rejected Jesus Christ. That they're not perfect. Isaiah says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. If it's something I have done, God says, you know, you got a bunch of filthy rags on. We talked about this. Many times when you talk to somebody and ask them, you know, what, it, how, what do you have to do to get to heaven? Oh, well, I just hope I did enough good things. What they are really saying is, I'm going to go stand in front of God with filthy rags on and say, let me into heaven. That's what they're saying. They don't know that. But that is what they're saying. And that should bring tears to our eyes that that's what their hope is in. Standing in front of God with filthy rags and saying, let me into heaven. We need to be bold. Every second there's people dying and many of them are going to hell. Sometimes it's our own family members. We need to really get motivated to share the gospel with people. Because there's nothing worse than hell. Nothing. People will go, well, I've gone through hell on life, on this world. No, nothing you have gone through is even close to hell. Nothing. No matter how bad your life has been, you're not close to what hell is going to be like. And we need to be motivated to share with people the gospel. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I'm to give Christ out. The more we live for Christ, the better off we're going to be. The more we're going to touch people. 
And you know what? The more joy you're going to have in your, in your day-to-day walk because you're living for Christ. And one of Annie's favorite stories from the, the hiding places when they were in the prison camp and the women were in this uh, barracks with lice and fleas. And Corey's going, I can't praise God. And her sister says, you praise God for, you know, have you noticed the guards don't come in? <laughs> now, kind of hard to believe that that's what you'd be praising God for. But, you know, to be able to praise God that the guards did not come into your barracks with all the things that that meant, not just the, everything else, but all the things that that meant. All things work together for good for those who are called according to the purpose of God. And we've talked about this. That does not mean it's for my good necessarily. It's for the kingdom's good. What will build the kingdom? And you know, sometimes when you're living and you're going through some very hard times in your life, when you stand up and you live for Christ in the middle of that hard time, people notice. They notice. They notice that you're a little different than the rest of them. You're not griping and complaining about everything that's happening. If you are griping and complaining, quit doing it and just live in Christ. <laughs> but when you, can, when you can just focus on Christ and you come out in the middle of that and people look at you and say, how are you so different? You've got something that I need. The world doesn't have much of that. We know they don't have much of that. Look at alcoholism and drug abuse and suicide. They aren't making it through their hard trials and when we can put before, before them how Christ gives us strength, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All things. And that sometimes means going through some very hard events. In Fox's Book of Martyrs, there's a story of a father and son in, in a prison getting, getting ready to be burned at the stake. And this one stands out to me because of how special it is. And they say, when you go to the stake and you see Jesus, start raising your hands and praising God. The father's faith was dwindling before, before the event. And luckily, in this case, the son went first. And while he was being burned, he started singing praises to God. Strengthened his father to be able to go and say, now I know that it's real. I know that I know that it's real because he saw the sun go through it. Many times in our life, our strength and our work walking with Christ through issues are going to touch people. And I'm going to tell you right now, maybe you won't even know about the people that they've touched. We may not know until heaven some of the people we touch. Sometimes you'll have somebody years later come up to you and say, what you did back whenever, touched me in such a way that it gave me strength or brought me to Christ or helped me grow. We don't know what impact we're having on people's lives. I've had several times where people have come up to me years later and said, you know, you did such and such, and it, and it encouraged me. But, you know, that's just the tip of the iceberg. How many people are in our lives that we don't know about? You know, when we get to heaven, there'll probably be people that come up to us and say, I'm here because I watched you. I'm here because of the strength you gave me. It might even be, I'm here because of the strength you gave these other two people who then gave me <laughs> the strength. 
we don't know the chain that's going to be that we're going to get blessings in heaven from because we don't know all of the people we're touching we never do we never know how many people we're being touched and how we're touching them how just our faithfulness for god impresses people now, i tell people all my life i've gone to church other than about two years when i walked away from god but all my life i've gone to church it's not even a question in my mind it's sunday morning I go to church. Sunday night, now that I'm old enough to go around, <laughs> when I was a kid I couldn't necessarily go that way, but Sunday night, go to church. Wednesday night, go to church. It's never been a question in my life. But you know, I've had people say, your faithfulness has been an impression to me, and it's not faithfulness to me, it's just what I do. I want to follow, I want to obey God, I want to be with God. Those are when it's really going to be precious to us when we get to heaven and God says, you did this. And the greatest blessings are going to be those things that we didn't even think we were doing anything. We're just doing what comes naturally to us to serve God, and people get blessed. There's some things where we kind of know we're being, when we're blessing, if we're out knocking on doors, you know, we kind of know we're touching people's lives. But those aren't going to be the great blessings that you're going to have. The great blessings are when people look at you and say, you were faithful. I watched you go through this hard time in your life, and you stayed faithful to God, which I wouldn't have done. You know, and they go, you stayed faithful. You impressed me. Be faithful. Ask God to give you strength to go through things. Live for him. Because he's the one that will give us strength. He's the one that's only the one that's going to be able to make us live in him. And as we've said, he comes in, he dwells in us, and he changes who we are. He crucifies our flesh and he comes out. <laughs> have you ever been in a place where you've been talking to somebody or doing something or reacted in such a way and you're going, where did that come from? <laughs> and I'm talking about the good, not bad. We all do that on the bad. Because <laughs> our heart is deceitfully wicked and who can know it? So if we're in the flesh, we will do bad things and we'll sometimes wonder, where did that come from? Uh -huh. yeah. But how many times have you done something good, you've said just the right thing, you were so loving... And you're kind of going, where did that come from? I just don't know. That's not how I normally would react. I built this person up. I edified this person. I showed them love. I showed them forgiveness. <laughs> Especially when it's somebody that you didn't want to forgive. You don't even like them and you forgive them. Because that's what we're supposed to do. And show them love. So I want to right now encourage us. Live for Christ. Why? Because he's the one that's doing it anyway. Allow him to crucify you. Allow him to come out of you. Because we need to be able to teach people by example more than anything else. And we all know that you can say all the right things, but if your life doesn't match what you say, it doesn't mean a thing to people. If you tell people how much you love, love people and how much God loves them, and, and then you backbite them and tear them down, they're not going to believe a word you've said. Because you just proved you can't live what you said. When your words match what you're saying, your actions match what your words are saying, it impresses people. When you show love, when you edify people, when you build people up, and you give the gospel, you tell them how to get to heaven. I'm going to challenge you all, share the gospel with somebody this week. You might be surprised. They might get saved. Then your job really begins. You get to teach them. <laughs> you get them into a church. Get them taught how to live that way.
But let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity. Lord, we ask that you teach each one of us and give us opportunities to share you. Lord, if there is anybody in this room or listening to this message that doesn't know you, we ask that you just work on their heart. And then all you have to do is pray, Lord, I am a sinner. I deserve your punishment. I believe you died for my sins. Come into my life and save me. In Jesus' name, amen. And if there's anybody that said that, let me know. Guys on the internet, email us. 